Toronto Maple Leafs are 4-0 and since our last episode, but more importantly, uh, Travis Dermott is on the board. Nick, how are you feeling about it? Uh, that, that was the good stuff right there. A little vindication. I think uh, Dermott's played really well. That was a dart. Oh, it was a yeah, it was a dart. I think he caught Price leaning a little bit the other way. I don't think, well, none of us really expected that out of Dermot. I don't think that Carey Price did either. Yeah. Been a nice start for him. And we uh, are doing a mailbag this episode. Uh, so the first question goes to Leifer, who sent this in right before the game. And I just had to lead with it. Will you take it personally when Dermot is traded at the deadline? <laughs> uh, Leifer's all over me. <laughs> he, he's just at me all the time with this Dermot stuff. Um, I, I, I will take it personally if they trade Travis Dermott. I can't lie. Well, Keith, Keith, you tweeted, uh, that, uh, what was it? Dermot yelled out, this one's for Nick, but it might, he might <laughs> yeah, have yelled out, this say, one's for Leifer. I got like That's so right, many yeah, tweets well, I, <laughs> when Dermot scored last night. I had like people texting me and people tweeting at me. It's hilarious. Yeah. Leifer's had, had some, uh, had a tweet about, about him, like in his, like not having strong quality competition against him. And I like piped in. It defended him and then realized that he whatever I came at him with wasn't even his point. I just like shot, jumped the gun on it a bit. So uh, I think what he was saying was that there's not really a spot for him in the top four right now. And I think I took it as maybe that, you know, he wasn't any, and he wasn't any better than how he's been playing because of the, the quality of competition that he's been up against. But I, I think he's been obviously really good. And I think what Keith said early in the year is important that, he's not coming out of the lineup because of his play. He's coming out of his lineup because there's other players that Keith wants to get a look at. And he just was kind of a victim of circumstance. Like, I don't, I, he's, there's nothing about anything that he's done this year that, that leads me to think that he should be the seventh defenseman in the depth chart at all. No. And I think that though the Leafs have some depth on the blue line now, and maybe are lacking a little bit of punch up front, We've waited a long time for the Leafs to have some depth on the blue line, and we also have to be mindful of the uh, looming expansion draft. So, yeah. as it stands right now, it's it's unlikely that the Leafs will be able to protect uh, Justin Hall or Travis Dermott. One of those guys is likely ripe for the picking for Seattle, barring some kind of side deal made beforehand or you know an unexpected yeah. expansion protection list from the Leafs. But if you trade a Travis Dermott right now, and then Justin Hall gets plucked away by Seattle, you're then you're looking to replace two of your top six defensemen for next season instead of just one. And I, I just don't see the Leafs making that kind of move right so now. So what do you what do you think they do though? Like I, I like because I think if if you go into the into the expansion draft with the two of them, like I, I don't know. Like I, I would imagine that Hall would get would get taken. Is he has he done enough? For this year for you to do some sort of side deal that you're giving up a pick or a prospect to, to not take Justin Hall? Well, I think that's got to depend on, you know, exactly what that price is. I, I think yeah, all the GMs around the league probably learned a little bit from the Vegas expansion draft and a couple of teams maybe. Not to be the Florida Panthers. Yeah, don't, don't sell yourself out like that and, you know, give up multiple pieces to to try and protect one guy and you know you end up leaving yourself short in other areas and or losing players that are better than the ones you decided to keep if i'm cutting a side deal i feel like it's to to keep both of them yeah, like 100 that's what i'm saying like I'm, that's what i'm saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like I, i'm i'm like 
you know, I would rather just say like, take your pick and like, you know, do you want the young guy who could blossom into a a real, you know, legit top four option, maybe even better than that? Or do you, you know, do you want the guy who's going to give you like really good defensive results and top four play right now, but you know, for, for who knows how much longer kind of thing, like take your pick and we'll make do with, with whatever's left. And yeah, I mean like I, I, but I don't know if, uh, if I'm taking a side deal to, you know, settle with Pierre Engvall or something, if I'm uh, Seattle, right? Yeah. So it's going to be pricey to, like you said, they'd have to make the deal to probably hang on to the both of them and, they might just be better off letting Seattle take their pick as much as that. I bring, I bring it, I bring it up because I, I like a week ago, even I would have been absolutely not. Don't give up any assets. Let Hall walk. I man, he looks good. Like he's making me at least consider the option that I would like, what's the most I would do on a side deal to have him not taken. Like he, how long have you wanted a right-handed defenseman that does what he's doing every night? It doesn't feel real because it's Justin Hall and he's a bit of like an AHL journeyman and then all of a sudden he blossoms like late bloomer kind of thing. So you, you kind of feel like maybe the wheels are going to fall off a little bit. Like he's not 24 years old and doing this with pedigree. So like, I, I don't know. He's, but he's, the guy's playing his ass off every single night. Like looks amazing. Well, I, I hate to be reactionary or like judge things off of small samples, but if he continues to play the way that he is, he might be working himself into the conversation as one of the protected players over. Yeah, totally. Over yeah. one of the guys that it, it would be considered an incumbent in in that spot, like a Jake Muzzin, who is. <laughs> I was on Justin Hall before the season about how he had been carried by Jake Muzzin, and I think it's been even more drastic in the other direction so far this season with the way Hall has probably carried Muzzin through the, the first bit of the season here. And I alluded to it on Twitter last night. We're, we're like 14 games into the season and Justin Hall still looks like the best defenseman on the team. No disrespect to TJ Brody, who's been fantastic in his own right. But I think Hall has been like the most consistently solid option on the blue line. And I don't think there's much yeah. debate there. Yeah. Um, while we're talking trade here, um, I mean, like it's – it's hard to like the idea of trading Dermot is, is tough to take, right? Like you said, like it's you know you don't want to just piss away your your defensive depth as soon as you have it. Um, you know you have to be conscious of the expansion draft. However, you're going for it, so it's like you can't really let it dictate what you're putting on the ice. You know this year, um, and it's like what do you? How do you trade a guy that could, you know, become a, a top four, like a homegrown guy, um, and, and get a, a proper return? Well, well, to that point, Cam, Travis Dermott is going to be worth more to the Leafs than he's worth in any trade, and I'm quite confident in saying that he's just one of those classic undervalued guys that brings more on the ice than. Like if we're talking Dermott for Sam Bennett, no, no thank you. Like no way. Like, I have no interest in that. That that, ne- that never made sense. No, like ever. package him for someone who is like a legit like top six you know a top six guy who can kind of drop down and play third line when you're fully healthy and like you know play up and down the lineup and there's been a bit of talk about that we'll get to another question on that here but like i i just don't see you know how um how you can move dermot right now especially like you know it's not like he's been poor like we like we said he's he's basically done what you wanted in in 
those minutes. Um, you know, he, he got his first point there, and it's like, you, you know, we said at the start of the season, like we would like to see a little bit more offensive production, but he's not, you know, his, his overall ice time is way down. Um, so, you know, it's, he, he's just got to, you know, fill in there and he's certainly done a, a much better job than some of the other options have. So it's, it's like you want that depth and, you know, eventually you are going to get some injuries on the blue line. So, um, you know, you see what he, he can do in a top four role and, and, you know, I'm sure that that day is going to come sooner than later. Next question is from Doug Doucette. Uh, Dougie. And, you know, this this ties in a little bit. Uh, who, who is Frege's mysterious top six winger? Uh, Elliot oh. Friedman had, what was it? He was on a radio somewhere, I think, and, and made some kind of note it was, about it. Uh, Tim and Sid. Yeah, so, yeah. so he had a... Uh, but it was also his 31 Thoughts podcast. He said it twice now. Okay. Okay, so there's definitely yeah. some smoke there. So so he, he has a name, apparently, of someone that the Leafs are targeting, but he, he can't report it. Hockey journalism, ladies and gentlemen. Access journalism. <laughs> you can go any direction with this. Like what I just kind of said about like, you know, someone who can can jump up and like you want someone who can put the puck in the net, I think. Someone who's, you know, a, a legit like top six scoring option, but who has kind of the tools to, to play up and down the lineup because, you know, you I mean, you're not going out and, and trying to get a, you know, a guy like... Um, like a Connor Garland or, or like a, like a random, like, you know, a guy who, who's going to play in your pet, like who needs to play in your power play and play top six minutes to produce. And, you know, is, is not necessarily um, a fit with the rest of your system. Maybe like, I, I think that it needs to be um, more of like a bona fide option. Someone who's done it over. Like over. I would love an, a super unsexy, like Craig Smith style pickup, I think. Yeah. I think that they might be like to your point, looking for someone a little more versatile and maybe someone who could play in the middle as well as on the wing. Uh, give them a little more options with putting together that third line. I made no secret about the fact that I'm not a huge fan of Alex Kerfoot as a third line center. I think he's a fine player, um, but just stylistically, I don't know if he gives you exactly what you want out of your third line center role you, you maybe want someone who can bring a little more energy when Kerfoot is, he's just kind of out there he eats minutes he's a fine defensive player though I think maybe some of it's overstated a little bit but it just to me he's like a he's a great he's a great defensive presence on a line but like when you're you're the goal of your line is to be a shutdown line and he's at the, at the center of it. Like I, I, I feel like he would be a great winger on a shutdown line when you have like a a stalwart defensive, you know, presence in the middle. Yeah. Um. Someone maybe with a little bit more length. Someone with, you know, just kind of more of a like a shutdown mentality. Like Kerfoot is, I, I think, a fine defensive player. But it, you know, he he's not like he just doesn't strike me as the guy that you you. you you stick on as a shadow and, and, you know, expect him to just erase someone from, from the play and from the, the box score. Right. Yeah. And the other thing I think is like, it's kind of been noticeable even just through a couple of games without Wayne Simmons, like the, the physicality is kind of just gone from the forward group. I know it sounds kind of silly that it was just being brought by one guy, but it does make a big difference when that one guy, we got Austin Matthews. (laughs) Yeah. Austin's been throwing it around. But, like, it it would be nice to have some more of that physicality on the third line, I think, rather than having to rely on it from from just a couple of guys. You know what I mean? Someone who can kind of start the fire, drag the guys into the fight when things aren't going so well. Uh, The last two games, the the Leafs were a bit lackluster through the first couple periods each night. 
you know, maybe a big hit here and there. It gets the guys going. Yeah, I, I really have no idea who the, the mystery forward is just simply because like they don't have a ton of cap space. So then you're looking at who are they going to move out that has any kind of, you know, and, and I'll be completely the, transparent and the first to admit, I don't fucking really understand the taxi squad paper transaction to accumulate cap space daily and stuff. Like I get it but I don't know what they're going to end up at. Like, I know if you look on cap friendly, it looks like right now they're on track for like, I don't not like not enough for even like a minimum player. Well, yeah, they're, they're not accruing right now because we're, they're back using long-term injury reserve with all these injuries recently too. So so. like, I mean, what, like if you're like the, the talk of like an impact top six winger or something to play with Tavares and Nylander, like you're not getting, uh, a guy on a one like expiring contract like a Hoffman or something like like that. So like, yeah, I think you're right. Oh, I think you're on to something, Cam, with it being like a and kind of unsexy, responsible player. They don't necessarily need firepower, and I've been saying this kind of all year about like secondary scoring and stuff. Like, I don't think it's that big of a concern. I think with how good their primary scoring is, I don't. I don't need them to be rolling four lines and like in terms of like having, you know, a ton of offensive options on like even, well, I mean, even then they have, you know, Spezza scoring goals on the fourth line now and Patan's dancing all over the ice and Mikheyev's looking good. Like, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily need that, but I would be totally cool with, with some, some more depth that can bring a bit more responsibility, a bit more playing with the lead that isn't like, Pierre Here's a name I'm going to throw out that like I, I don't know how you can make this work under the cap, but uh, this is a guy who's got an expiring contract and kind of fits that mold that I'm talking about. Kyle Palmieri out of the oh, Devils. That yeah. Would be yeah. What a great, great pickup pick that would be. Perfect pickup. Like, you know, a guy who can jump into the second line and like, I mean, he's been a lock for like 25 goals a year with the Devils. <laughs> and, you know, it, and he just plays so hard and like has that great two way game. And I, I think that his kind of style would be like, um, you know, it, it's a fine line, right? Because, like, we talked about Simmons. Like, you know, you, you miss him and his physicality when he's out of the lineup, but you have to get guys who can still play your system and can keep up with, the, you know, a really talented team. And, you know, this is a guy who would just be such a sexy pickup for the Leafs, but he's making over four and a half. I don't know how you do it. There, there would have to be some salary retention, and, I mean, that's not totally out of the question, but I'll stick with New Jersey for a, for a minute here. Uh a guy I really like there who probably isn't so much of a, a surefire option for the top six, though he's been producing really well early this season. He's got eight points through nine games. Miles Wood is a player I, I really like on the Devils. He he plays a really fast game. He brings a lot of speed. He's physical. And like I said, he's been producing a bit of offense this season, definitely on pace for his best offensive season in the NHL. I don't know how willing the Devils would be to part with him, but he's he's 25 years old, so he's not exactly a young piece that they're going to continue building around there, necessarily. Uh, he's someone that I would definitely have interest in. You're effectively, we're looking for our Blake Coleman, yeah. right? Like that version of that trade. Exactly. Yeah. 
and yeah, I mean, Paul Mary is a, is a little, you know, a little, a little bit of a higher level, and I'm more looking at it like a, a guy who can kind of uh, maybe help some of the five on five scoring issues that you know the the, the team has been having a, a little bit of, like been pretty power play reliant here at, at times to start. Yeah. But it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do here over the next few weeks because I mean, this is clearly a team that y- you want to try to fill in, um, you know, the missing piece or two if you can. Like this is. Looking pretty good here in the early going. Um, next question comes from Mare. Uh, of the upcoming games, which one would you choose to play, Hutch? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> no. Give them all the sends. Yeah, games. no. Who gives it, a shit? Yeah, seriously, though, I think they really should get him into the net uh, in one of these games against the Senators. They, Like you just said, they've already, they're off to a pretty good start. They've, they've banked a lot of points here. I think it, uh, it's a good time to give Freddie a rest. He's been playing well and probably doesn't want to come out of the net, but uh, the whole idea this year was to try and have him more rested and have Campbell take some of those games. So with the cushion they've built up now and a weaker opponent on the horizon, I think it's a good time to, to get Hutch into one of these games. Yeah, it probably makes sense to, to get him on the Monday Ottawa game, give Freddie, what, like three or four days off completely. Yeah. Well, they play Ottawa... Um... They actually have a back-to-back. They have Ottawa Wednesday, Thursday next week. Oh, okay. So there's a day between those. So it's Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. So I, I would probably I'd give probably Wednesday. start him on Wednesday. Yeah, the Wednesday. Yeah. You know, I, I, would, I would even get crazy and consider giving him Monday, Thursday. And that way, Fred gets Wednesday against the Sens, and then it's back up against Montreal again on Saturday after playing the Habs, you know, twice this week. I think that that will all come down to how Hutch looks if he does get into one of those games. He's he's probably If you give him Monday and he looks like shit. I don't he's know he's never going to play for the Thursday. Thursday. They'll go to Joseph Wall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's, and that's the problem cuz cuz then if if he looks bad Monday, then he got Fred going probably Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. Yeah, Fred so on a back to back. Maybe wait till yeah. Wednesday then. <laughs> I just wanted to show some disrespect towards Ottawa. <laughs> Always welcomed on this podcast. <laughs> A few here from uh, the Leafs Nation crew. Uh, from John Steitzer, what type of animal would make the best hockey player? <laughs> oh, God, John. Um, I'm, I'm like Google. I'm like Google and stuff here. Hang on. I'm inclined to say giraffe, but we've seen Pierre Engvall's performance this year. <laughs> <laughs> With some consultancy of the blog.therainforestsite.greatergood.com <laughs> um, animals that thrive in cold climates and it's got to be uh i'm going with the snow leopard it's fast it can move on ice and it can rip your face off that's that's a great one i'm gonna kind of go in the similar direction i'm going with the arctic fox the cunning to nice. move around stealthily and not be seen through <laughs> defensive coverages <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to go hippopotamus, throw him in the goal, and you're set. Just throw him back there, and you're good to go. Um, from Nick Barden, when does Martin Marinson get into the Leafs lineup? Speaking of giraffes. <laughs> the entire defensive team goes out for dinner and gets COVID, and he's not there. <laughs> I think the only way he's making it into a game is I, I want to say that I do admire Nick's dedication to the bit. I 
forget how it went on Twitter, but I think it was something about uh, a certain number of likes and he would buy a Martin Marinson jersey. And of course, the good good <laughs> yeah. folks of Leafs Twitter came through for Nick and he is now the perhaps the the sole proud owner of a Martin Marinson jersey. Uh, <laughs> um, so sorry, Nick, but I hope we don't have to see Marty at all. I think that Marinson would be incredibly useful if uh, NHL had like NBA substitution rules where you could just put him out there for five minutes and you didn't have to give him a regular shift at the cost of like the rest of your team. <laughs> and like, like you could deploy him like a uh, Boban Marjanovic. I don't know if you guys know who that guy is, but you should Google him. Um, or YouTube him is probably even better. And uh, he's like basically like when you need to uh, uh, smash the glass and hit the we need a lanky fucker alarm. That is <laughs> where you need those two guys. That's basically uh, how I deploy breaking <laughs> breaking case of emergency. You, you just need the lankiest bastard you can get your hands on. Uh, throw him out there for a couple of minutes. But yeah, other than that, I, I do not hope to see Marins and Skate for the Leafs this year. Got a, a few here from Ian Cote. Ian sent us a bunch of questions back over the holidays and uh, just kind of, you know, said, you know, get to these whenever, whenever you feel like it. I think he probably earned the title of our biggest fan with that. <laughs> yeah, man, that, that was awesome. Yeah, he put a ton of time into these and uh, we wanted to pick a few out for this one and we'll probably do the same for our next few mailbags. First one, um, and this one's kind of interesting because, like I said, this was a message that we got over the holidays. Um and obviously things developed since then. Uh, this one talking about uh, basically uh, Hockey Night in Canada. We had discussed on an earlier pod about, you know, who who might replace Ron McClain when the time comes. Uh, Ian wants to know who we think um, should replace Don Cherry in the coach's corner segment kind of on a full-time basis. Um, and one of the names that he suggested was Brian Burke, who seemed like the clear front runner for you know the lock at the time uh, yeah many years and uh, now he's moved on to the pittsburgh penguins being hired this week um alongside ron ron hextall in their hockey ops department so um burke is is off the table now um i don't know do you do you think i guess the 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 bigger question will will they even try to to go that route That's... and bring back yeah coach's corner that's what i was gonna say i don't think so what was like the ask berkey thing or whatever like i i think that on merit alone just in, in the sense of like who's done well on broadcasts lately to give them like an intermission segment where they break something down i'd be super cool seeing kevin bx to do it i was not a fan of him or at least not a fan of the idea of him mostly because i just hated him as a player but like he's been really fucking good and I'd be fine with him and David Amber having a one-on-one intermission chat. It's never going to be coach's corner again. Like, and if it's ever Mike Babcock put a fucking bullet in my head, but <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, I would, I, yeah, I'm down with, with BX again in a little segment. Yeah. I'll echo that. I didn't much care for BX when he first joined uh, the broadcast crew, but he's, he's added so much to the, to the broadcast because he actually he actually breaks stuff down i've been begging for that forever like he shows he doesn't things. really talk down to the fans either like he, he breaks things down in at kind of a higher level than what we're we're used to seeing on hockey broadcasts traditionally the, but the highest level that they were ever capable of was like face-offs <laughs> yeah like i show me stuff about like what f3 is supposed to do and like what like stuff that i can't pick up on my own yeah and i i think bx has been great for that and he's he's just gotten like more and more comfortable in front of the camera too 
And it, I, it, he's yeah. pretty much like the star of those uh, Sportsnet broadcasts right now, in my opinion. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I'll admit I don't watch a lot of uh, intermission stuff because, um, you know, like you say, it's it's like a tendency towards, um, you know, like I, I would like to see more of the breakdown stuff, like you said, like more of the X's and O's, because like that's... Think about um, a football broadcast, how much they dial in on that stuff through the course of a game, not even just at halftime, like as the game's going. Yeah, and yeah. NBA is the same way like it's it's um it's a lot more informative and uh, makes for a more like educated fan you know fan base right and uh and, and that's what i'd like to see like i would hate to see them kind of go back towards like the emotional outburst hour on you know the first <laughs> oh, intermission man. like i i don't uh i, I like i i having kind of grown up with it right it's like okay like this wasn't really useful like yeah. you know it, like i i mean i i like i outgrew don cherry by the time i was like you know, 15, like (laughs) I'm not really learning anything here. Right. So I I think you want to try to educate people about the game and that's, that's what, whoever you, you, you choose. I think that's the way you got to go. Another one from Ian here. And, uh, he wanted our top five defenders in the North division in order. And this is no prep. So (laughs) doing this off, off the top of the head here. Um, Justin Hall. (laughs) <laughs> Justin Hall number one I, I'm working from two through five in my head uh, I, no I mean is is there a clear number one guy in in the division to you because it's there's there's no one who's no there's no one really jumping out and hitting me in the it's face it's not Shea Weber I think there's a lot of really good defensemen in the north division but I wouldn't say that there's any who are without their warts completely. Like J- Jeff Petrie has been really great for Montreal in the last couple of years. He's off to a blazing start this year. Of like just everything's going in when he's on the ice. I, I like Petrie a lot. I, I I feel like he he might even be in my top five. And it's hard. To, like it's oh, hard. He's to, absolutely in my top five. It's it's hard to evaluate. Um, because like you look at a guy like Quinn Hughes, like that that's a guy that Ian mentioned in his message specifically, who, you know, I, I think that um in terms of like obviously potential, he's, you know, clearly right up there. Um he's probably number one in terms of potential. Yeah, exactly. And like he's he's shown flashes, but um, you know, his season hasn't been so hot. How much is it, that is him and how much is the team? I don't know. Um, he's definitely struggled defensively despite the, the the high offensive output yeah like in, in terms of guys like you know he, there, there are warts like you said to to still work out there and I, I think that like even by the end of the season it could be like a no-brainer that Quinn Hughes is like that guy right and like I might might even still take him in my top five too just because of what you know some of what we have seen but then you look at like obviously Morgan Riley is you know had the offensive output that you know um most offensive defensemen can only dream of like it just in recent seasons and he hasn't had the hottest start but um you know in terms of just pedigree like that, that's a lot of what what um you know ranking defenseman is too right if you're talking from like an olympic team roster standpoint you've got to take pedigree into account yeah and like and that's a lot of i feel like how defense like defensive evaluations like a lot of it is like the elder statesman like deferring to the veteran and, and like i mean Mark Giordano. like you see how the Norris Shea Trophy Weber. gets exactly. You, you see how the Norris Trophy gets handed out year to year, right? And like, like Lifetime Geo, award. <laughs> yeah, like like yeah. Geo's, you know, a, a, a really solid defenseman, but like, 
he doesn't have that dynamic level that he did, right? So well, it's, I'll throw out another candidate while we're on Calgary. Uh, Rasmus Anderson would be definitely in the conversation for me as one of the top five defenders in the North Division. I love everything about the way he plays. Huge steal for Calgary where they got him. So I just wrote down my five while you guys were talking because I can't do shit on the fly like that. So I've got Hughes. I've got Petrie. I've got TJ Brody. I've got Rasmus Anderson. And my this is in no order, by the way. I should clarify this. I'm just, I, I don't know if I can put these guys in an order, but five. Um, and then my fifth, I've got Noah Hannafin right now. I think he's been playing really yeah. fucking good. Um, and he's a guy that has a ton of pedigree. Like he is, a, you know, a, a former top pick. Um, maybe, you know, was a little, you know, get, getting things going. But at the end of the day, he's still a pretty young guy. Um, and I think it's more likely that we're seeing him like figure it out versus like a flash or an aberration. Um, so I, I like him in my top five. I, I mean, you could have Riley in there. You could have, you could have Shea Weber in there as much as I don't want to say that you could have Josh Morrissey in there. there. There's, there's options, but right now today, that's what I'm going with. And I know I left out Justin Hall and it hurt to do that, but that's probably where I'm going to, where I'm going to land right now. Well, I think this is a good time to maybe kind of discuss where the, the Leafs blue line as a whole kind of slots in uh, among the, the competition in the North division this year. Where would you guys say, like call it the top six of Riley Brody, Muzzin Hall, Dermot Bogosian. Where do you think that stacks up against some of the other top sixes across the division? Man, it's, it's up there. Which is crazy to say. Yeah, like the Leafs' blue line is no longer a weakness. Uh, I, th- I think it's like no, it's maybe Cal- even turning into one of the strengths of the team. Calgary's is pretty good. Montreal's got a, g- a good defensive um, unit too. And Montreal's pretty good. Th- those are the yeah. top three for me. I, hard to say the order though. I, I, you know, I'm trying not to have my blue and white glasses on, but they've played really, really well as a unit. I'd argue that two of the most prominent uh, on the Leafs blue liner have, have been two of the most, the biggest yeah, disappointments. Yeah, Muzzin and Riley have not played extremely yeah. well to start this season. And despite that, the defensive group as a whole has still looked quite good. So I think they're definitely in the conversation as one of the best uh defensive groups in the division and i had brody on there just because of the fact that he's basically the only defenseman on the ice when he's on <laughs> <Yeah>. the ice <laughs> like he he's playing with four forwards and and i'm not knocking mo for that like i i think he's coached to do that i think he's instructed to jump into the play a lot and and absolutely there's going to be gaffes as a result of that um which again I, he hasn't played well but i i don't i think if they told him like stop you know stop jumping up and pinching and, and, and making like, you know, plays like that down deep or, or whatever. I think if he was, he could turn that off. I don't think he's ever going to be like a stalwart or anything like that, but I think that they're comfortable letting him run around a bit more because of Brody. And I think that just is that much more impressive to me for, uh, for what Brody's doing. Yeah. And if you don't let Riley kind of run around, like you said, I don't know that he has the capability to even become more of a defensive presence. He, he, I think he kind of is what yeah, he, he is. Yeah, he just maybe a l- marginally so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that one of the clear trends this season with the Leafs is like they're playing lower event hockey, yes. right? Like, you know, we've seen it in obviously like, um, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of uh, attack time without, you know, uh, it translating into scoring chances necessarily. And I think um, 
it's tough for a guy like Mo to to probably try to adapt into that, especially you know being on the team for for so long and and the kind of running gun style they they played for so long. So it's an adjustment there, and it's especially when you when you're a guy who plays such high event hockey up and down the ice both ways. It's like trying to fit in and pick your spots. Um, they I think Jonas Siegel in the Athletic had a good piece on Travis Dermott um, talking about you know him him trying to. Uh, pick his spots a little bit better and make you know better decisions and, and you know um still be aggressive but not overdo it and you know I, I kind of thought about it in in terms of you know applying that to Riley as well and I, I feel like that's something that you know he, he's trying to to do while also you know playing playing top pair minutes right and trying to trying to be responsible but also trying to create something the other way which is is obviously the strength of his game yeah just w- while you were talking there i just looked up hannafin because i was doubting myself after i said that he's got like 65 percent expected goals percentage 65 percent scoring chance share like yeah he's been really fucking good this year yeah i i like him i, I think that um the, like that's a guy where you could see the offense come. Like I, I think that you know he's kind of spent these first few seasons in the league. Like you know he he's been a very solid defensive player. I think all the way through he's a good skater for a big guy. Yeah, and uh, he seemed like he maybe was just in the league a little too early. Like he, you know what I mean? Like he he maybe could have seasoned a bit more. Yeah, there, there's a little bit of like an Ekblad thing there. Like not not obviously quite yep. to the level, but like Ekblad took a little while to to you know he he was kind of um, figuring it out maybe for for a little longer than people were expecting. And and Hannafin seems like a guy who's going to be in the league for a long time. Whether whether he's ever going to be like a, a offensive producer or not, but yeah, I, I like him. Uh, it's enough talk of non Leaf players. <laughs> I just had to mention Thomas Shabbat since I, I did disrespect the Sens ah, earlier. Shabbat, I forgot about Thomas him. Shabbat deserves respect, even yeah. though he is an Ottawa senator. Yeah. Probably my top five. He's all, another guy who's got you know things to iron out, but uh, he's he's a lot of fun to watch. But he's a man on an island there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Bronstrom has not even you know been quite uh, quite as billed so far here, so... Okay, that's it for the uh, mailbag. Uh, thank you all for your questions. Much appreciated. And, and a special thanks to Ian. We'll, we'll get to some more of his in future mailbags. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what to look for here the next uh, week. Obviously, Montreal is Saturday night. And then Lee's can start getting healthy here. Um, obviously, Wayne Simmons, six weeks. He's out with the broken wrist after that uh tough tough bounce on uh That's just such horseshit luck yeah uh, yeah on something like that like he punched jordy ben in the head 30 times the night before and then to have an injury yeah. like that uh, catch an errant puck in the hand and yeah like yeah. a dump out not even a shot just yeah yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so that's tough. Obviously, going to miss miss his presence and have missed it. But um, you know, some guys who went out early, early in the season. You know, we didn't get to see a whole lot of Joe Joe Thornton, barely any of Nick Robertson. Um, they've been skating, and uh, are we expecting to see both of them back next week, or or where are we at with that? I think uh, Robertson is eligible to come off IR before Thornton, but I think Thornton will probably be back in the lineup before Robertson is. Uh, it sounds like Thornton might be ready to go for that Monday game against Ottawa. Uh, if not, I think he, he'd probably be back uh, for the, the second set of games against Ottawa. And I wonder where he fits in. Do they go back to the way they started the season? Do they want to get a longer look 
with Thornton alongside Matthews and Mariner, or do they want to leave well enough alone with Zach Hyman up there right now? I think that especially right now, you could use Hyman elsewhere. Yes. Like, I mean, I, I get why they want him up there, um, you know, and they like him up there regularly. I think that there's other units that probably need Hyman more than Matthews and Mariner do. Yeah. As good as he has been on that top line with them. Yeah. He j- he just makes every line he's on better. So do you throw them down? Do you throw them down with Tavares and Nylander and try to get them going a bit more at five on five? Like, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I I don't love the idea of him on the third line though. That's probably the way that I would go, Keith. I'd throw Thornton back out with Matthews and Mariner and see if Hyman can help get Tavares and Nylander on the go. Yeah, I, I like that too. I. I- I've been meaning to talk about Tavares um, the last couple of pods because, like, obviously, you know, the, the production hasn't quite been there for him. Um, Not at even strength, anyway. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, but I think, like, I don't know, to me, like, to my eye anyway, like, and I wanted to do a little bit of digging on this, and I, I may yet, uh, you know, at some point soon, whenever I find the time or the energy, but uh, he, it seems like he he's bearing down a lot more in those, like, battle zones like um I, I, it just seems like instead of you know trying to poke a puck through and, and go on the rush and create something offensively like he's bearing down and and, and on battling right for pucks and getting them out over the line and maybe taking taking himself out of the uh out of the offensive play a little bit to make sure that the 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 play goes the right way you know like it's it's a weird thing but it's just it feels like um maybe there was a conversation between Tavares and Keith at the start of the season where it was like, you know, we've got our number one offensive threat. Um, You know, we're we're not quite trying to do the run and gun thing. Like Tavares came from, you know, a place where he was driving the offense his whole career and and then came to a team that was very, you know, up and down the ice and, and he was scoring huge numbers and now it's, it kind of feels like he settled into a little bit more of a traditional, like two C role. If you know what I mean, yeah, I think maybe like that's a perfect example of the whole we want to be harder to play against doesn't necessarily mean we're going to run you through the boards. Exactly, it's more just like that kind of like dogged determination. Like he's he's all over pucks, and you're right. Like I've noticed that too. Like he looks faster, he looks more determined in the defensive zone in the neutral zone, and yeah, lo- like logically that would probably lead to less offensive success at five on five. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Especially if he continue, continues to be as lethal as he is on the power play. And, you know, even the fact that he's, you know, mostly getting the, the, the back end of power play shifts and stuff like that too. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh, and, cause he's incredibly effective at it. Like he, he's, it, yeah, that's what I mean. Like last year he looked hurt. He, no, like he was himself, hurt all year and, and it doesn't look like that this year. He looks healthy. And I guess maybe we, we assumed that the 5-on-5 five five production would come along with the health, but he looks like he's – you're right. It looks like he's playing a different type of game. Well, I think that he and Nylander are both doing a lot of good things away from the puck. I thought it was particularly evident against Montreal on Wednesday night. Um, they're both just like on the right side of the puck more often. And like you guys said about how it, it might affect the the offensive chances, is like a half a step can make all the difference in the world between – getting a break on a guy or an odd man rush or being able to beat a guy on the outside and get to a puck first. But oftentimes that does come at the expense of it's a risk reward play, right? Like if if you miss out on it, it's a chance the other way. And I think that 
to your guys' point, they've they've both made a, a concerted effort, and it's been more noticeable with Tavares just consistently on the right side of the puck and bearing down in those battles. And they've Tavares in particular has been like relentless on the forecheck. I've, yeah. He's just been wreaking havoc and knocking pucks loose. He does look faster. He, he's closing on guys a little quicker. I think the offensive production at even strength is going to come because they're just doing too many of the right things when they don't have the puck. I, I just want to touch on, on Mikheyev too quickly. Like I, I've been very pleased with his game. I know he's not scoring, but like he's playing really well defensively. He's causing odd man rushes like crazy. It was only a matter of time until they went in. And then obviously it was just a complete fluke, you know, goal that that is the one that kind of breaks the dam. High end playmaker, Alex Kerfoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like is that, yeah. You know, fanning on the shot to let the pass go through was elite <laughs> skill. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm fine with Mikheyev's, I, like if you come back to what we were talking about earlier about where you know if you slot if you slot Hyman with Tavares and Nylander and put uh, Thornton back with with Matthews and Mariner, Mikheyev, you know, do you play Mikheyev and Robertson together? Like, would 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 that kind of speed and skill get more out of out of Mikheyev? Like, I don't know if Robertson. I guess it's not like they have the most traditional fourth line in the world, like with Patan now there and stuff like that. Like maybe maybe a. Boyd and, or Boyd Patan and Robertson fourth line would look good, but I just don't know where everybody's going to fit when everybody's healthy. Like it just, again, good problems to have, but I don't know if you want to try to create a, a third line that can score a bit more than what you've been doing, or do you want to still like he seemed pretty hell bent on that kind of traditional shutdown third line. They've had to resort to Jimmy VC and Pierre Engvall as the wingers on that yeah. line right now. So I definitely You notice when I'm talking about this roster construction, I'm not mentioning VC and Kerfoot. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. <laughs> yeah. Um I think that just because of that and the fact that Simmons is still going to be out for a while. I think that there's going to be a job there for the taking for Nick Robertson once he's healthy. He definitely has the ability to add some offensive punch to that bottom six, whether it's on the third line or even in, you know, limited minutes on the fourth line with some power play opportunity. Uh, But to your point on Mikheyev, I think he has been fantastic. And I've been seeing people like compare him to Pierre Engvall with the lack of finish and stuff that I think that's silly. It's like nobody's ever seen a like a shooting percentage trope <laughs> yeah. before. It's not the and same McKay's thing. And hands haven't been exactly pretty this season or anything like that. But he's just he's creating chances so much more consistently than we've ever seen Pierre Engvall do. Like it's it's every night that Mikheyev gets you know a one on one chance where he's taking a guy wide and you know making the goalie make a save. Who did he completely break ankles on last night? He took somebody wide and oh, was it Sherratt? Yeah, he uh, – I'm not sure who it was, but yeah, he blew the doors off. Somebody, somewhere. anyways, um, yeah. He, like, I kind of touched on that with Engvall. Like, there are some of the, like, similar tools, similar, similar, like, physical aspects. But, like, yeah, I mean, the way that they – um, use them and apply them like it feels like McKayev's already got a you know a better handle on that even though it's it's been a pretty I mean it's they both had a short short NHL careers but um, with McKayev like you know th- there is a little bit of that element of like him just kind of you know skating in over the blue line and ripping one um, and and I think that he's part been taking of that it to is, the net a lot more lately though like not always successfully but I, I think he's kind of gotten away from that 
you know, just flinging a, a weak wrister from the wall. Yeah, it's clearly been better, like, as the season's worn on. Like, there was a lot more of it, I think, early. And, you know, now he's he's driving a little better. I, obviously, like, you wondered about the injury. Like, that that's a tough thing to, to try to strengthen your you know your your wrist and, and like it's it's so important for for everything you do with with, with shooting and stick handling and, and i wonder like how much that's still affecting also him. like even the mental yeah. side of that man like that would have been a, ter- a terrifying yeah. injury to ever like just to put yourself back out there again in, in the yeah kind of crosshairs of it of it potentially happening again oh like that's that, something that would never leave his mind for sure you never man anytime a skate comes near his arm he's gonna think of it like that's gonna affect you would think like how just maybe a little more tentative even subconsciously right like yeah whether he knows it or not one yeah. more thing i want to say on mikhayev though is like, like we kind of i said earlier about kerfoot how he kind of is just a minutes eater sometimes and doesn't really seem to get a lot done despite posting you know positive results in most metrics um mikhayev is one of the only players on this team who i think is genuinely still effective no matter how much he is struggling to put the puck in the net. He just does so many good things on the forecheck and tracking back defensively, killing penalties. He, I, he's not a player that I would be calling for coming out of the lineup, even if he didn't score another goal all season. Just the way he plays the game, I think he's he's really important to this Leafs forward group. Yeah, I, I think he's a guy you want to continue to settle in and integrate into your lineup. Like I, you know, I you've got him for this year next at least and you got him on pretty good value so you may as well make the most of it right yeah and a great oh we're so good on the penalty kill i don't know how much we even mention it but obviously goes without yeah, saying yeah like, he's fantastic on crazy good so we had a bunch of stuff on our last podcast uh talking about the nwhl season and then i think while we were recording it it all went um, another one of the teams <laughs> pulled out yeah connecticut pulled out and then a couple days after that before i even finished editing the podcast uh the whole thing went kaboom and uh so we just we didn't have any nwhl talk in the last pod because it was all outdated so um big disappointment obviously for the toronto six who um you know a lot of people were, were cheering them on and, and watching those games i tuned into a few on twitch i know that you guys caught a little bit of action as well and um i mean they like you want to talk about like your traditional like getting better as a tournament goes i mean it wasn't it was a season not a tournament technically but it was kind of a tournament format it was two weeks and and uh they were the top seed going into the 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 semifinals and unfortunately um you know it didn't happen and it's just such a bummer that yeah I, I mean, they, they got that far, and like, yeah. there's there's All a the lot work of that those ladies put into getting to that point and gelling as a team in such a short amount of time and positioning themselves yeah. to win the whole thing and having. I mean, it's see disappointing it for the entire yeah. league and every team involved. But you know, we're we're a Toronto hockey podcast here, so we're, we're definitely focused more on the six and in their inaugural season to to get to where they did and not be able to see it through is a huge disappointment. Yeah, we were looking forward to Michaela Grant Mentis like potting a hat trick and hopefully in the final. Um, and, and like, I mean, the, the obviously it's disappointing for the team, the fans and everything, but like for the sport 
sport. Like it's been so turbulent, obviously, with the PWHPA and the, and the NWHL making strides and and you know trying to trying to make a viable league here, even without the the top end talent. And you know the, it was still entertaining hockey, but you know it, it was lacking some of that that punch that you know the the a lot of people are used to. Uh, people who maybe only watch uh, Olympic women's hockey, otherwise maybe um, you know weren't super sure what they were getting into with the NWHL. But I, th- I think there was still a lot there that um, uh, you know drew the fans in and if they could have just gotten on to national television, it would have been such a boon for the league, but for women's hockey, like period to get, you know, into the national spotlight like that. I mean, TV time is so incredibly important to, to growing a league. Just the visibility of the whole thing, right? It's everything. Yeah. It's everything. Yeah. And, and for them to get that close and, and not even get to, to be on television and, and they didn't fully cancel. They're still hoping to finish, I think at some point. So we'll see if they're, they're able to get that together. But, you know, obviously that without even getting into like the financial side of it, like it's devastating to, to not have that pay off for your sponsors. I would, I would think on the, uh, on the national television level and all the, all the costs that went into, to making this happen and obviously i mean you know there were issues there it wasn't even a, a real bubble it was, it was being called a bubble but like the way it worked out um you know that that's kind of ultimately it seems like what led to its demise and and obviously a lot of other issues that that go into play there um but i mean i i think it was um really a lot of fun to follow along with and and so many people who work so hard um behind the scenes to make it happen just really disappointed for everyone who uh um you know couldn't couldn't see it through ultimately it, it you know it didn't didn't uh didn't get to play it out and we hope that you know it'll still happen but um it's always kind of ha- kind of have that uh, that shadow over it which which sucks and it just sucks for everyone who who loves the sport and and, and uh, particularly is involved with the league so um it's tough um mentioned the PWHPA and they announced um a partnership with the Leafs earlier this week or on the weekend, I guess. Um, now, kind of spinning off of the NWHL, there was a lot of talk, obviously, about like the the Leafs not supporting the six, not kind of acknowledging the six at all, really, like on social media or anything like that. And um, this was kind of what people expected was the reason um, they do have this official partnership. And it's funny, I was actually scanning the PWHPA website. Um, a few days before that got announced with the Leafs. And I noticed that the Leafs were on there as a, a sponsor. And I thought I had heard someone mention that they were a sponsor and I just didn't really think anything about it. And then it seemed like the official announcement came a few days later. I felt like I had a scoop that I didn't know I had, <laughs> but um, it's, there's, there's a lot of facets to this, right? Like it's obviously um, it makes sense why the Leafs in hindsight now didn't, you know, acknowledge the six um, because they have this partnership and it's like the, the Rangers also have some kind of an agreement, but they also supported the NWHL. I think that's a different thing because like, I don't know what the Rangers involvement with the NWHL was going back. I don't believe but, they're an official sponsor on the, on the level that the Leafs are. Yeah. They're, they're not an official sponsor. They're, they're like, they're not listed on the website as a sponsor. I think they're partnering with them for like a New York like hub, a partnership, but yeah, yeah it's just a uh, teaming up to kind of promote the game whereas the Leafs are it seems like it's going to be a much deeper involvement and probably a, a, a much you know larger financial commitment I, I would think as well but uh, th- on the other side of it like 
I totally understand why people who are jumping on the six bandwagon, who are also like largely Leafs fans, would be upset like to not see the, their team supporting their team, like especially where they're in the same city. I get well it. because that's the only actual team right now, right? Yeah, like it's a totally valid like to be upset by that. I think, but it, you know, it's it is it's like a nuanced. It's uh, just, topic. Very layered. Yeah, it's just it's business, I guess. But but you're right. Like the the idea of like the visit, like the the kind of optics of it at the time was they're not supporting the six, and there's nothing else that they're yeah. supporting, right? Like there wasn't like there wasn't like they were pumping the PWHP at the same time, or or like a, you know a second you know a second league. There was nothing else, and it just yeah, the optics of it, it kind of got great. conflated to not supporting women's hockey at all by some people. Right? Exactly. But, yeah. Understandable. Like conclusion to draw but obviously you know with with the with the announcement that comes after it it kind of makes a bit more sense it's not like they forgot or were unaware and i like that's like i i mean i understand why people got upset about that um i i it's just it's good to see that you know they they do have plans to um support which which i i don't think we ever thought that they wouldn't um so it's it's you know when i see that they're supporting the, the pwhpa um obviously like there are a lot of issues to work out here on on the women's hockey front um you know we talked briefly there about just the um you know the issue with like the, the top end players like you know if you want to attract um you know eyes you, you need to have a league where all all the top players are are playing and that's not happening right now and it's um it's a complicated issue but it's like you know i i guess i was kind of of the mindset at one point where it was like you know, when we get to that point, like, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly watch kind of thing. And now it's like, okay, like this is, this is a bit of a messy situation. So it's, I feel it's important to support, um, as much as you can, like on all, on all fronts, right? Like, so that's why we, we try to talk about, uh, all the different leagues. And that brings me to, um, another women's hockey thing that we've kind of been mentioning, which is coming up in our neck of the woods, uh, or supposed to be, can I read you guys a tweet? Read us a tweet. This is from the IIHF hockey account. They tweeted first about the under 18 worlds, uh, men's hockey, which is going to be taking place in Texas in the spring. So they, they just tweeted about uh, that. I think it must have moved or something. Yeah, it was supposed to be in Plymouth. They, they moved it down there to you Texas. Go. Okay. So, so trying to comply. Uh, so it was retweeted by Blair Turnbull, who is a member of the Canadian women's national team and a Nova Scotian. Uh, any update on women's worlds or are we still at the bottom of the priority list? <laughs> Response from IIHF hockey. They are scheduled in Nova Scotia as previously announced. Not moving them somewhere else doesn't mean it's not a priority. We are working together with the Canadian organizers and the province to make it happen. Well, that's some sass from the double so on yeah. edge at IIHF hockey. <laughs> yeah, a little little def- little defensive there. Yeah. Yeah. Um so well then you know then then make an announcement stating exactly that. and it's you like know? it hasn't been like much of an update on the whole thing no yeah yeah it, it's like they're in nova scotia you're talking to a nova scotian member of the national team she knows that shit <laughs> you, yeah. you don't have to tell her that she's wondering is it happening because you haven't said anything about it in a year when you postponed the first event the first time around so yeah, we're waiting to hear. 
Um, and we mentioned the uh, we were talking about the PWHPA partnership uh, with the Leafs, and we're obviously excited to see what that's going to entail. Uh, also, wanted to mention um, it is Black History Month, and the Leafs announced. Um, earlier this week that they are putting out is it a podcast or like a, a t- i guess it's like a web series i, I believe it's like a mini series web series yeah yeah so a, a, a web series um and it's called barrier breakers and the first episode uh, i believe it's just released featuring renee hess of uh, the black girl hockey club uh, she's the founder and you're very likely familiar with the Black Girl Hockey Club by now, but if you're not, you should definitely check them out. Um, just an awesome organization. Um, I, I don't know if we... they've done so much in such a like a short time. Yeah, uh, scholarships. Um, they're they're partnering with with so many different uh, like NHL teams, the NHL itself, like different organizations, just to try to to advance the game and, and bring it to a wider audience. And we're all about that. So. Um, hats off to to the black girl hockey club and renee and and i'm excited to watch this episode i haven't gotten to check it out yet so i'm looking forward to uh to watching that and, and to seeing what else is to follow like I, I i don't really know much if much has been announced about this if this is just like a black history month thing or if they're going to keep this rolling through the year uh with this barrier breakers series i hope it's i hope it's continuous that'd be cool um but uh, a shout out there for sure. And I actually I had a little something prepped for Black History Month, but uh, then the Leafs announced this. So we'll we'll talk about that. And we'll we'll leave that as a surprise for uh, for for next week so we can keep it keep it going. Keep the love going through the month uh, a little bit. We're going to close this one out with Cape Breton's Fire Valley Fire. They're from Sydney. They're working on their third album now, and uh, that's about all they can do right now is touring musicians, of course. Uh, some live music is going on in Atlantic Canada, but it's touch and go. And what we do have is reduced both in capacity and opportunity and everything else. So uh, they're trying to set something up for next month, which would be just their second show in a year. Uh, tough sledding out there right now. So if you want to support them, check them out wherever you get your music and uh, make sure you follow Lamenting the Leafs wherever you get your podcasts, which is probably the same place. Uh, if you would like to rate or review our podcast as well, we would be ever so grateful. Uh, we're going to get to the title track from Fire Valley Fire's first album, Bring an Army. Thanks for listening. Inside of here.